year 1890. All is well at the Grace Bible Seminary. Gentlemen, Dr. Carlisle has authored a manuscript entitled The Changing Times. The board is about to endorse their top professor's latest book. Insightful, Russell. Excellent reading. I, too, Russell, found it highly thought-provoking. Despite several misspelled words and much bad grammar, I have no objection. <laughs> but when a member refuses to consent... What Dr. Carlisle is implying is that we can put forth the standards of Christ apart from his name, and I think this is deadly. Everything will change. Sir, I would like to ask for an exception to the unanimity rule by the board. Doctor, I cannot change the policy. Such endorsements must be unanimous. Two colleagues will become adversaries. I am surprised you will not endorse the book. To be more accurate, I am shocked. I've invited you to my home to explain why I am saying this. A friendship will be tested. What is this? This machine can transport a person through time. I beg your pardon? And the only thing that can settle their dispute... Norris, what is happening? ...is a journey... Norris! ...to the future. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Alley. And I am a corpse at the bottom of a well, also known as Michael Tamer. Are we going to go on a journey through 13th century Istanbul to figure out who killed you, Michael? I Yes. And also, there will be no explaining of this reference. Please and thank you. <laughs> but for the three people that get this, best day of their lives. The only good day they've ever had. We have never given anyone the best day of their life. Including ourselves. <laughs> Michael... How are you? Uh, I mean, I'm alive. The uh, the air quality is better today. I I can see my hand in front of my face. The, the sun <laughs> is only blood tinged. Yeah, the moon is hexed. The sun is dying. Everything is going really swell here. Yeah. Uh, no, but like more seriously, uh, you know, let's take a moment to mention all the people that are struggling with like real actual fire shit yeah. all over our great state and several of the surrounding ones. Uh, and people who have lost their homes, people that are in trouble. It's uh, it's a real shitty situation. So, yes, we are absolutely going to bitch about our moderately bad air quality. Uh, but also, there there's real bad shit happening. With that, what are we talking about today? So, we wanted to do a little counter-programming. <laughs> For reality? Yeah. <laughs> Decided to sort of, like, dig deeper in the archives for a Christian, Christian movie than we have done before. And so, we went back... To 2002's classic, the opus, Time Changers? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) How are you this unprofessional? It's Time Changer, you son of a bitch. Here's the thing. It has a a title that is impossible to remember. I mean, the actual title of this film is Working Title. So, (laughs) yeah, not unlike a cue drop, it is both uh, extremely reactionary and incredibly vague. I think... Q drop is a very good analogy for this. It is, it is the original Q drop, the 2002. Uh, as far as we know, this might be written and directed by Q. I actually know who this was written and directed by, but that Q. person could also be Q. <laughs> Zach, do you know anything about who made this movie? Uh, presumably a Christian from the 19th century. <laughs> yeah, from from 1890, who came forward <laughs> in time. Uh, so this movie, before we even get to the premise, much less the plot, yes, uh, was made by two brothers. They're actually twins, uh, nice. the Cristiano brothers, Dave and Rich. And they have been making Christian movies since the early 80s. 
Oh, I, I look forward to spending more time with them. Yeah, they, they this is actually their first feature-length film in okay. 2002, but they spent a solid decade making uh, sort of long-form shorts in the like 30 to 50-minute range. Weird. And then selling them directly to churches. Brilliant, actually. Never uh, mind. And they, they, this has been their sort of like DIY uh, project for most of their career. You know, they came to Hollywood as young men, tried to sell a couple scripts, flamed out, got saved, and started this nonsense. Uh, they also, even more fascinatingly, mm. they are the ones that brought us David White of Pure Flix fame. Wait, what? They hired him for his first major role yes. in 1992 for a film they made called Second Glance. David actually referenced this when we were doing our God's Not Dead podcast, saying that he had been working in sort of more mainstream film uh, and then got a Christian role. Yes. This was that role. They brought <laughs> us, they made David White. And then Pure Flix has sort of taken this model and mm. obviously expanded it a lot. Uh, but these are the OGs. Wow, this is a uh, this is sort of like seeing Velvet Underground in the sixties. Uh, it is like seeing a video recording of a Velvet Underground concert from the sixties, and also they were all really high, and it was a terrible show. Like, <laughs> and Velvet Underground wasn't involved at all. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just a bunch of guys, and there was no Velvet. <laughs> Man, this is depressing. It was above ground. God damn it. <laughs> So, yeah, they have been doing this sort of, like, church shopping thing. They are the founder of ChristianMovies.com. Oh, that august website? That august website. Are you serious? That they, Holy shit. I know. Oh, my God. Even better, it ChristianMovies.com appears to only house the Cristiano Brothers films. There are That's no other so Christian good. movies available. I love that they don't just call it, like, ChristianoFilms.com. Nope. Like, no, their films are the entire oeuvre of Christian film. The last thing I'll say before we get into uh, the premise of this movie is that they appear not to like each other that much. Well, yeah. Uh, they I mean, we should not let people in on the behind-the-scenes <laughs> of this podcast. My God, bloodbath. Uh, we just, we are very careful about making sure when these microphones are turned off <laughs> uh we're like we're like uh those those two magicians where one is silent and one is fat <laughs> but except Zach, we're both silent. fat <laughs> uh so yeah so this is in the manner of all great films a christian science fiction period piece yeah obviously where a seminary professor in mm -hmm. the 1890s tries to get his book endorsed <laughs> That might not sound like the premise for a riveting family entertainment mm -hmm. vessel. But let me tell you, you are correct. <laughs> so, Zach, tell me what happens with this guy. Russell, uh, our, our lead, yes. travels into the future to learn what happens if you separate morality from Jesus. Yes, led by the instructions of a professor who will staunchly refuse to endorse his new book. That's right. Uh, he is sent on a journey to the future to learn nothing. Okay, Zach, so open me up on Time Changers. It begins... It begins like all great movies with children playing marbles in Even before yard. that, it begins on a screen that just says, the year is 1890. <laughs> I actually love, and I think this is because of Wishbone, I love a cheaply made period piece. Mm, okay. I actually do. I find it comforting when everything appears modern. Mm -hmm. The lighting, the buildings, the mode yard. 
Yeah. But it's like, no, it's 1890 because these people are in cosplay. Yeah, that these people, that they're basically dressed up like in old times. Yeah, no, it, it looks it looks like they raided the like boring half of a Halloween supply store. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's just 15 people in Pioneer Woman costumes and the, and everyone still has frosted tips. Right. No. And and I actually love that. I find it weirdly comforting just be like, "All right, now we're in the 1890s." So yeah, we're the year is 1890. It's like, okay, cool. I get like he's wearing like There was no other way to convey that information Skechers, to a viewing but, audience. But I like yeah. it. So, uh, 1890, some kids are playing marbles on a front lawn. On a blanket. On a blanket. Well, no, that's true because you don't want to lose them in the grass, Michael. No, see, I I cannot disagree with you more here. This is my first <laughs> and still most Are we going to do this on the pod right now? Is that film. what we're going to do? The blanket. They have not flattened the grass under the blanket. There is no playing service. The marbles are literally rolling into divots in That's the blanket. True. That's bad. They have done nothing to assemble. Like, these people don't know how to play marbles. Right. No, and actually the truth is, because I played marbles a little bit as a kid, because I was a poor. Yeah, because you were in the year 1890. <laughs> like, and you would play them on the sidewalk. You would like play a normal on the sidewalk. Person. You would play it on, like, a clear dirt, like, yeah. area. There is no way that you were playing on a gently draped blanket over grass yeah very upsetting uh so this movie starts out in science fiction and so they they play some marbles their mom calls them in and Uh then a child comes and steals some of the marbles roger Roger is base. Roger is the only cool person in this fucking movie. roger is class conscious roger should be stealing their marbles they clearly don't know what to do with them (laughs) then Roger, the child. Also, you know, it's 18, it, that convinces me it's 1890. There's a child named There's Roger. There's a child named Roger and everyone is white. <laughs> Hurrah. <laughs> and he runs into our lead. Just smack. Of course. Right into Russell. An august, patrician gentleman. You can tell he's from the year 1890 because he slightly over-enunciates every word. So he runs into our lead, Russell Carlyle. Who bends down and explains to him that stealing is wrong bold stance (laughs) sir yeah not only that like he he seems incredibly shocked Mm -hmm. by the very idea that anyone would desire to steal some marbles like he is just a little dumbfounded (laughs) in this moment which is kind of his like whole vibe for the whole movie but it's really weird that he's just like he is shocked (laughs) <laughs> that a child might seek to acquire some marbles. Well, as soon as the camera turns away, he finds a switch and just beats the shit out oh, of yeah, that no, child. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cuffs his ears, which, by the way, I've read, you know, I used to before I, this was an anti-knowledge podcast, read books. And mm. if you read books from, like, the 19th century... Please don't get us canceled with your book reading. <laughs> they would often be this, like, a side. Where a child would be, where a protagonist who grew up poor would be like, yeah, I'm deaf in one ear because I got boxed in the ears yeah. as a child. Yeah, and that, that and that protagonist was a young Zachary Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. So let's let's get into it. He goes to work at the seminary. He's sitting in a very posh room with several other white men laughing. And by very posh, we mean like <laughs> dogs dimly, playing poker level. I mean like, dimly lit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> A room full of your favorite character actors from 1980s television, yep. including uh, the captain of the Love Boat. Yes. Yeah, who plays who plays the the one seminary professor who takes issue with his work, 
and that one guy, the boss from Office Space, Richard Real. Yes. I think. So just like vaguely familiar faces. Carlisle is played by an 80s television actor. He was mm-hmm. on a couple sitcoms. These are all sort of like professional has-beens. Yeah. Uh, and they're it, all slumming it for a day. It's it's tough when you slide out of fame in Hollywood. I, I am not judging these people. Every single one of them brings a lot more to their roles than the lead. <laughs> this is not a judgment. It is just like a room full of vaguely familiar white faces. Continue, Zachary. So, they're sitting there, and they are they are laughing augustly about their roles as seminary professors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how amazing they are. And our lead, Russell, uh, has written a new book. Yes, indeed. And and they all decide whether they are going... The conversation now is whether they will endorse the book for publication. And, and this, it must be unanimous. Yes. So. It must be <laughs> unanimous. <laughs> you actually got me there. This is the first half hour of the movie. It's 30 fucking minutes. <laughs> the entire plot hinges on the idea that for this one random-ass seminary professor who wrote a book... Yep. He has to get the endorsement in a timely manner so he can make it to the publishers in time for publication. That is the whole ass plot. Those are the stakes. Okay, so it does actually matter for the plot. All these people go around and be like, I love the book. Everyone's super into it. You were magnificent. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they critique his grammar and then sort of chortle about it. They do chortle. (laughs) It's the only time I've seen a man chortle. But they all decide the book is great. We're endorsing it. And it's going to publication. They joke about this helping sales, which I think is pretty funny. Yeah, it's very good. I, I I think this movie hates every other Christian not directly involved in the production of it. Well, yeah. Uh, so I, I do think so getting some this podcast, so whatever. Light, I mean, sure. Uh, some light burns in on, uh, on these seminary types in 1890 is pretty solid. Yeah. So, however... Turns out one of their colleagues is not there when they begin the conversation. He has been taken ill and they've been, they're worried about him. But towards the end of their chat, when they're just thinking, this is all good. We're going to get money. Let's go to the pedophile factory. But they can't go to the pedophile factory yet, Michael. Shit. I know. It's closed on Sundays like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> A bald man shows up. Mm-hmm. Mr. Loveboat. Mr. Love Boat. We're Captain of the Love Boat. I, I didn't watch the Love Boat as a kid. I watched a lot of old TV. I didn't watch the Love Boat. You didn't watch? Well, clearly. I mean, it was it was just orgies, man. Yeah, I think that it was too sexy for my parents. Not <laughs> not like that totally chased uh, television show, Gilligan's Fuck Island. <laughs> I did watch a lot of Gilligan's Island Dude, as a kid. Gilligan's Island was important for several moments of my <laughs> yeah, puberty. It was very formative. Talking so- about Skipper. <laughs> Thurston Howell kind of <laughs> But uh, anyway. He's got some issues. Captain Lobo shows up holding the manuscript and says, I have an issue. Mm-hmm. And I, he, he basically says, I cannot endorse this book because in it you say uh, we should teach morality because that will make society better even if it is separated from the person of Christ. Moral standards t- taught by Jesus to all people but without Jesus. Yep. And... Our lead, Russell, is like, obviously, you should tell people not to, like, steal and shit. Yeah, morality is good. And the guy is like, no, morality is actually not good unless it's specifically tied to this the person an actual of Christ. Quote. Without the authority of Christ, mankind is just left to 
compare ideas. I think my favorite bit of this is he says he would rather have a child steal yes. and not be told it's wrong because then hopefully his conscience will tell him it's wrong and he can find Jesus then. Yeah, he would rather a child steal because then that child gets some fucking marbles. God yeah. damn it. Um, Roger, Roger, I support you. There's a really great... So so they begin to have this yes. debate because everyone's like, aren't you For being like a little minutes. ridiculous? Yeah. And... and uh, our protagonist is like, but surely the morality is still good. We're still living according to Christian right. ideals. And and he's just like, no, without Jesus, it's all bullshit, you little fuck. He does say that. Uh, and like, I just, I love the disdain with which this man says, compare ideas. Compare like that is, ideas. that is so anathema to him that that would even be allowed, that people would compare ideas. Uh, and then he says, look at our marriages. They are weakening. 5% of marriages end in divorce. <laughs> also, I doubt that was true for 1890, but we're going to push forward. Oh, yeah. Who gives... I mean, look at our marriages. They're weakening. We're only allowing switches s smaller than a man's wrist length. Yeah, I mean, like, what is the that? The institution of marriage is crumbling in 1890. He says, Satan is not against good morals. I love that so much. I love that so much. He said, Satan is against Jesus Christ. The idea here being that teaching morality apart from Jesus Christ is actually sinful. Yep. Because then people might think that they're okay. Yep. Uh, this, is, this is a classic evangelical bromide that no morality can exist. Outside of God or Outside Jesus. of God or, or not even just God. God, I mean, because there, there might be other yeah, gods out and, there. And like this movie refuses to like ever so briefly engage with the difficult sort of like idea that when you actually do live in an irreligious or post-religious or secular society, how difficult morality can be, which Nietzsche wrote extensively about and a lot of philosophers have. But this movie is not interested in actually wrestling with that. It just wants to say no. Yeah, well, it just wants straight up theocracy. So they, they aren't able to come they to an agreement. There's this big, it. big discussion happening. Yep, a row. And, and then our protagonist tries to do an end run around this professor. They spend 15 solid minutes of him trying to work on procedure. He's teaching a class... Uh, he's laughing about science in this class. This oh, will yeah. come back. This is good. So he's teaching, our lead is teaching, and he basically says, like, hey, the Bible knew all about science before scientists did. All these things that scientists would learn thousands of years later. So if you want to be a good scientist, make sure all your discoveries align with the Bible. He says, yeah, exactly. The Bible isn't true because science agrees with it. Science is true when it agrees with the Bible. That's right. And stop. Full, that, yep. that is just that is just the pitch. That's right. And then they leave. And then... By the way, this guy is the moral vagrant in this story. This is the, <laughs> this is the man who is failing in morality. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's an obvious note, but like as, as you know, the, the idea that the Bible can't ever be poetic or allegorical in any way is never, would never be considered by these people. So Russell is then, uh, Mr. Loveboat comes back in again and is like, you have to come to my house. Yeah, yeah, he immediately yeah. starts uh, trying to traffic him. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, he is. It's so creepy how much is, passion he puts into like, I need you to come to my home tonight, 8 p.m. Come. And he's like, bro, I'm not, 
not going to. He's like, I don't really feel like doing that. He's like, and he's like, why would I do that? He goes, you must. (laughs) (laughs) His argument is you must. Because I love you. Because I want to send you onto my love boat. I mean, it's kind of, it's it's very unnerving. So instead of going to this dude's house, he tries to like go talk to uh, the dean. Yeah, there's a whole thing about how if 75% of people can agree, then they can change any rule. So they can change the rule that says it has to be a unanimous decision for the endorsement so there's this whole like all the president's men style thing trying to figure he's out trying to get all these other like dumb white fucks to like agree with him to like fuck over this guy and this is like minutes of the movie yeah it, like, it's like a soul, whole solid subplot and by the way it's a subplot where you're trying to get rid of the unanimous rule and you can't they can't do it that's it the end of all this fail. time it's just like Nah, it doesn't work out, dog. Can you imagine? He could have just avoided that whole thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, he needed to hit his 90-minute runtime, <laughs> so you had to have it. Uh, it is astounding. I just, I want an entire movie of just white dudes in the 1890s having minor procedural quibbles about how, like, a shitty university is run. It's like, amazing how many times they say the book or yeah. the endorsement. It's it's spotlight, but if at the end of it uh, the paper was just a memo about vacation days, it's spotlight, but it's good. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> I just want to be an asshole. Uh, all right. So finally, he goes to the dude's house at eight o'clock. Yeah, he shows up at the bar. He's like it's fine. <laughs> I guess I'll take one for the team. Yeah, he and and immediately is just taken to a barn. That totally yeah. normal thing when you show up at dinner time to a guy's house and he's like, "Hey, let me take you to my barn." I mean, maybe it was in the 1800s. I mean, yeah, that might be true. So he goes in and he's like, you're about to go on your journey. And the guy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then flips the lights on and has built a large machine. That is pretty cool. It's a cool machine. Hard pass on the machine being cool. (laughs) No, it's cool. There's like things made of brass. There's switches. Yeah. There's a platform. Yeah, but there's also like LED lights and clear like plastic. Like... Yeah, because he's been to the future, dude. He already says he can't take things back from the future. Zachary, pay attention. Maybe he learned. My favorite line is they're bickering in the future before (laughs) he shows off his sick ass time machine. Is our protagonist? Is Russell is like, why do you persist? You had me up half the night. is very good all right so now we have arrived at the time machine the time changer 30 minutes into a 90 minute movie yeah a thing happened (laughs) the story begins you know how all great screenwriting goes the inciting incident happens at uh page 32 (laughs) you know why is he sending him to the future and he's sending him to the future because he wants to show him what happens if you separate morality from Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They don't even say God, which I think is interesting. The argument morality stem has to stem from like God is still you know flawed in a lot of ways, but like at least interesting. But they're like, he's like, no, no morality can exist separate from Christ specifically. And like the way it did in the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all, all morality stems from Christ's appendix. Right. Clearly. Yeah, obviously. When the Roman soldier pierced his side, morality came out. <laughs> And, <laughs> and so he's like, I'm sending you the future. See what happens when we separate morality from this. He says, Russell, your journey will settle all of our differences. Russell doesn't want to do this. Russell doesn't think it's going to work. But Russell still gets onto the platform 
and the guy hits a button, flips a switch. Oh no, he is he is pulling like levers. There are so many yeah, levers. Yeah, I said it was a cool machine. Full size levers as the like nineties LEDs sort of flash between their reds and greens. <laughs> yep. And then uh these sorts of coils zap him and he disappears. Oh, my favorite part of this is actually him explaining the science. He calls it a singularity chrono displacement device. Come on, that's cool. <laughs> Uh, and then he says, it stores up the sun, sun's rays and time releases them. Just begs the question, like, why? Why are you trying? Why are you trying to, like, give, like, this is, this, it's basically just a solar panel, but through time. Uh, he also gives them some coins to take. Yeah. So, you know, that's nice. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. He, he zaps him. And our boy, Russell Carlyle, ends up in SoCal, and I am feeling fine. I am ready. I am, like, feeling good. We're in a place to recognize. He winds up in an alley in Los Angeles just like I did when I got <laughs> yeah, to the city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the same way that you arrived here on a time machine from 1890. <laughs> Shh, don't tell Here to me. find out how horrific the morality of our day is, but you were just super into it, and you're like, fuck it, I'm staying. So about a year after, I'd only been in L.A. about a year, Uh huh. and I was in a wedding. Okay. And so I flew back, and I was in a wedding in South Carolina. No, I was in a wedding in Georgia. Mm, okay. And I'm there with a bunch of good old boys who are in, like, in seminary or in Christian schools. And we were chatting. And, uh, you know, this guy asked me, like, well, you know, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I, you know, currently I'm from North Carolina, but, like, I currently live and work in LA. And he looks at me very seriously and goes, it's pretty liberal out there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah kind of yeah <laughs> he's in an alley alleyway and the whole world is crazy different and he finds a newspaper the year is 2002 mm -hmm. he's freaked out uh, and then nearly gets hit by a car <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I, uh and that is amazing and i love the way it's shot there's never a fill light they're obviously just shooting just him on a street somewhere. Yeah, maybe we should take a moment to talk about this. Uh, this is shot in a very, like, 90s Lifetime movie manner. Yes. Like, I can't awesome. really <laughs> overestimate just how boring every creative decision in this film is. I mean, everything is, like, mid-length shots. Yep. Uh, it's always just, like, bad coverage. Dude. There is never an angle that is interesting. Oh, There's yeah. never a moment... Where this like way that uh, it's being shot conveys the emotion that and you're the light to is feel. always ambient, so there's just these shadows all over the place. Yeah, it it is, it is it is sub soap opera level. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, so the first thing he does is he takes these sorts of like old gold coins that he was given, and he brings them to like what appears to be someone's living room, but I think it's supposed to be a pawn shop. I mean, every, everything in this film is essentially a living room <laughs> pretending to not be a living room. But yes, no, it's a pawn shop. Yeah, yeah it's a pawn they, shop. They got some cases. That's all you really need for a pawn shop. That's true. And At the, least two murder weapons okay, is I, that the actual standard for a pawn shop. I will say they achieve sleaze. It's the best filmmaking in the movie because the, the pawn shop guy buys the coins. It's clearly ripping him off. Mm -hmm. Like he looks back at his other mustachioed co-worker and is like, we're going to rip this guy off. Yeah. And then offers him money. But because... Our guy Russell is an idiot from 1890. He thinks it's a huge amount of money. Yeah. Even though he's obviously getting swindled. Which is funny. I thought when they did that, that that would ever come up again. Nope. Nope. I thought, like, oh, like, this guy thinks he's got money, but he actually doesn't have money. And that's going to lead to some, like, intriguing issues. Yep. And, like, 
cause some conflict in the film never again does it come up doesn't it might up. as well have been a million dollars russell does everything he wants for the rest of this movie unimpeded by any obstacle except his own fucking stupidity <laughs> so he gets some money he checks into a hotel and again he is like just doing fine transported a hundred and twelve years into the future yeah he doesn't he doesn't scream when he sees free black people running around but honestly he has no weird gender or race stuff yeah. From 1890. From 1890, that era. I mean, it was post-Civil War, so everything was great, right? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. how that works. No, it was like, 25 years post-Civil he, War. He manages to simultaneously be, like, staggered by things he should not be staggered by. <laughs> like, he is shocked at a fountain at one point. Oh, He's yeah, they had like, fountains in 1890! I know. They had fountains and, in and Roman he is, times! He is more freaked out by the fountain than he yep. is by the car. Like, the car is just a vague amusement to him. <laughs> You know, these things hurtling down streets. But, like, a fountain, he is just like, uh, But, it's, yeah, he mostly, he mostly just wanders around in vague bemusement slash horror. Yeah, so they, they do a 10-minute funk breakdown where they play what they think is oh, funk, man. where he just wanders around. He's freaked out by a fountain. He is in love with a touch lamp. Oh, man, he touched that touch lamp. That was, that was, he was super into that. He's and again, sharp as you said. <laughs> They had electricity in 1890, so I don't know why it's the or touch lamp that he is so fucking staggered by. Yeah, they also had lamps of all kinds. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were fucking... I mean, he loves them, clearly. This yeah. is the story of one man's erotic fascination with lamps. It, it was so bizarre. So, so he makes it to the hotel. There's a joke about tipping. Yes. The guy that's bringing him into the, the hotel like room is holding open. his hand out, and he, like, shakes his hand. Haha, ha, so funny. Another thing that, like, I'm not going to look up, pretty sure tipping existed in the 1890s. Yeah, who fucking cares? Doesn't matter. Weird point. Uh, and then, I think it's one of the more confusing things. I hope you can explain this to me. He ends up in a laundromat, but he's not doing laundry. He's just talking to a guy named Eddie who runs the laundromat. Does he have a reason to be there? Or does he just see Eddie? There's other people. Why does he imprint on this one? Uh, I can tell you exactly why he sought out Eddie. Thank you. Because Eddie had some radio headphones on. And our guy was intrigued by this strange technology. And so he went to speak to Eddie. Eddie, who is like shockingly nice to this man like astoundingly this really nice irritating this strange gentleman. man that immediately starts berating him about church because he he goes and he he inquires about mm. the radio headphones yep and appears to be bemused by the presence of baseball he he doesn't understand again the baseball existed in 1890 i mean yeah <laughs> baseball existed in 18 that sport's been around for fucking ever <laughs> god damn it i hate baseball uh and then he inquires after a church. He's like, where's, where's, where's your local fellowship of believers? And then Eddie says, I ain't got no time for no church. And you know, he was blown away. You would not be in church. Uh, and then he basically, it doesn't berate him, but he no, is like. He is, he is so staggered. He's like, but we all need accountability. If one separates themselves from the fellowship of believers, then how are they man- supposed to encounter Jesus Christ? Like, And then and then Eddie's like, hey, everybody says Eddie's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie says Eddie's fucking great. Thank you. <laughs> Eddie is far more moral than this oh, man. Yeah, Eddie's a way better dude. Uh, he, do- he does say one thing I agree with. Eddie says, hey, man, I ain't got no time for no church. I got to work. And Russell goes, oh, but there should be a day of rest. Yes. Yeah. Russell, base socialist. <laughs> oh, Russell definitely thinks the free market should decide if children should be working in, uh, like, aluminum mines. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> like... Russell thinks that people get saved um, through their lost finger from the, the threshers. That's that's how <laughs> Jesus gets in. That's the little, that's the, that's God-shaped the God-shaped hole. <laughs> 
is is the severed child's finger. So then we finally have Russell has made his way to a church, a giant mega church, where he starts talking to some dude about all the activities they do. Now, I want to say, this movie does get something right here. Yes. Because Russell is, like, chatting with Mr. Chatty. And the guy's like, hey, we got all these things going on. Come hang out with us and go see a movie on, like, whatever night. We'll Mm -hmm. leave from the church in a van. Been on that van. Do not go on the van. Yeah, never get in a church van. No. It will eat the rest of the Honestly, never get in a 15-passenger white van of any description, but especially not a church one. He's in church. He's told about all these activities. And the movie genuinely thinks churches focusing on activities is bad. And I think that is good. (laughs) This movie... Gets one or two things right. Hates evangelical culture almost as much as we do from a very different perspective. Yeah, no. It thinks thinks the evangelical culture is a little licentious. By the way, just to to give you some perspective on the comedy in this movie, the (laughs) laugh riot that you can expect when you, our dear listeners... We'll all sit down and have your own movie night to watch Time Changer, I'm sure. <laughs> Somebody says a word, and then Russell repeats that word in a mildly confused fashion. <laughs> He's be like, he'll be like, yeah, come hang out. We're, we're going to go see a movie. And Russell will go, movie? And that is, that is the joke. Well done. You did it. It really I'm worked dying. well. <laughs> I'm dying because it's so funny. Uh, so he, he goes to church. He finds out about the movie night. That'll come up later. Then he encounters a man who is selling hot dogs. Yes. And again, hot dog? I can't Do emphasize I want it with enough. everything? Yeah. It? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's just upset that he's not handed a fried dashend. <laughs> this is the most boring time travel movie of all time. Fish Out of Water is a classic trope. It oh, should be yeah. entertaining at the very least to see a man encounter the future. I mean, how many times have we seen this done? It is just the thing that you needed to show him about the world is a fucking hot dog. I just, he is like in this world filled with marvels yeah, and like he is new more social norms. by hot dogs than the fucking internet. Like, <laughs> Full stop. Also, sausages existed. (laughs) Sausages have existed since time immemorial. And this man cannot deal with a Eve took a sausage down from the sausage tree. We all remember that factual account that happened in Genesis. And that that was the same. That's just science. Bratwurst is science. This is an almost inexplicable (laughs) scene. He, like, has his hot dog. Uh Uh-huh. And gets distracted for a moment. And a blonde girl in pigtails yes. steals his hot dog. A, a, pigtails and overalls. I don't know if she's supposed to be homeless or she is literally just a, a child stealing hot dogs. I, if she's supposed to be homeless, it's definitely, again, the Dickensian way. Yeah. It, it will, But she's not even like, you know, there's nothing to actually indicate in her like no. how she's dressed or anything. So I'm just going to assume this is just a seven-year-old out on the grift. Like, this is just <laughs> seven-year-old, seven-year-old that knows what she's about. And what she's about is hot dogs. She's descend- She's Roger's descendant. Yeah. This is actually my child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then he confronts the child. Yeah. He chases the child through a park. Nobody has any problems with this grown man chasing a <laughs> seven-year-old white girl <laughs> through a park as he yells In at her. In Southern California. A normal thing you see on the regular. Uh-huh. And then he catches up to her and he says, young lady... That is not a proper thing that you have done. And then, oh, you do understand that stealing is a sin. Who says? Yeah. (laughs) She blows his mind by being like, 
Who fucking cares, nerd? <laughs> yes, he owns it so hard. He was like, he was so owned. He couldn't log back into Twitter that day. Oh, he yeah. Was no, like, like, uh, like, his face was just the sad Pepe meme. <laughs> she dabbed on him. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, she, she straight dabbed on that little bitch. <laughs> Blows his mind. <laughs> I know. Blows it's his so mind. Good. Even though he already saw a child stealing in the opening. Yeah, in the 1890s. This is nothing new. This, this is, is just not- what he does. He just goes around accosting children. It's not good. <laughs> it's not what you want. And Oh, he also just runs insanely. I, well, I don't yeah. I, I don't know. There's no point to this other well, than just saying. Well, he's in a full like, suit the entire time. Yeah. He, I will say running in a suit's awkward. Clearly, you've never seen the Transporter film. Like there's anything else I masturbate to <laughs> okay. than Jason All Statham right. running All around right. in a suit. Moving forward. I don't know why that wasn't a John Wick reference. We're moving on. Russell C is in a clothing store. The camera pans sort of into a store as an establishing shot. It's the only shot with some intentionality behind it. And that's why it's so weird. Because you see sort of the... The top of a mannequin from behind. And all you see, and then you see the mechanic mannequin is wearing something kind of frilly and lacy and yeah. black. And then that comes into frame are two teenage boys ogling the mannequin. Yeah. In like full on like uh Monty Python style uh elbowing at each other. You see that? You see that? Yes. No, these children are deeply invested in how fucking hot this headless armless mannequin is michael you remember we were 13 14 yeah and 2002 we were, we baby would, we would just walk we into were all a morning store. 9 11 and jerking off to mannequins the, and you would see a mannequin in like a one piece and be like i'm just gonna have to whip it out right here oh man oh yeah i can't count the number of macy's i've been expelled from <laughs> like it's so bizarre yeah so this, this, I this think is this where gets the movie to like, starts. To I get, think it like, gets to a really interesting tension in this movie, and that mm. its premise is that the world is so depraved that it, mm. we must go back in time and yeah. bring Jesus into it. But it is so unable and unwilling to even show the depravity that it ends up being a story of a man being deeply offended by pg level infractions like oh man the entire film is just him being horrified at exceedingly normal shit which cuts against the actual premise of the text Like, it would be one thing if he went into the future and he saw heroin addicts dying in the street, Mm -hmm. the Iraq war happening. Like, if he saw the actual horrors that the world of... If somebody told him about the atomic bomb and all of a sudden he understood how how much evil there is in the world, and even though his solution is garbage, that would at least be compelling. Yeah. Force this man to meet Jeffrey Epstein, and then you have a movie. Like Ooh, Epstein and O2 in Palm Beach. Now that is some depravity. Oh my god, that is that I'm pretty sure that's a Blumhouse production. But because he can't do that, we no. are left to him being furious at <laughs> mid-level managers of clothing stores for mannequins being in your grandmother's lingerie. It's And so that's what he does. He accosts He accosts the owner's son. Yeah, that's so true. So I will say fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly, he's he's a boss, so yeah. guillotines for him. And it's like, how that is not appropriate. Yes. Are you not inflaming the passions of young men? <laughs> Which... Sir, please stop being concerned with the passions sir, of young men. Sir, please, I need you to stop talking about inflaming passions of men, young men. And then the owner's son goes, hey, I don't think that would look good on you. Would be a funny joke if it wasn't also just, a little gross. Just a little, just a little... Uh, 
gender comedy for you right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2002. Again, that said, it's to the kind fair, of... every movie in 2002 yeah. was, was at least this, like, level of not woke. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a movie called She's the Man from basically 2002, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's push forward. And so he has a whole thing, and the guy... The, the owner's son is like, hey, nobody minds it. Yep. Our customers, most of them don't seem to mind this sort of thing. Again, this is the thing that he is just staggered in shock Just by. amazed. So then. He still buys a suit, though. He goes back to the laundromat for that's, apparently no, no reason. That's right. I we forgot. don't have to spend any time on it except that. So then he goes and he meets Michelle. Now, the man who, who human trafficked him into the future, <laughs> literally, he goes and finds Michelle. He goes and sits down with her and basically says, oh, I'm friends with a guy, but he's not from the past. He's just a scientist. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry about it. This is all normal. Michelle decides this is all normal. We should have lunch soon. Yeah. So this guy has shown up from the past, befriended this woman, just been like, yeah, I'm a a professor. Don't worry about it. And then sent another man from the past to also meet with this woman to be like, yeah, I'm a professor. And his excuse is like, I can't talk about why I'm here. Or why I'm leaving in like three days, because it's an experiment. Yes, uh, because I am in fact Jason Bourne. It's 2002, the first year of the first Bourne movie. So again, more more riveting plotting here. A man sets up a casual <laughs> lunch date. <laughs> With a married woman. Yeah. I love it. A non-romantic lunch. I, I think it's a good time to say, this movie has no plot. Oh it's no. Got, it's just hanging out there, in 2002. There, it's never going to get more interesting than this. <laughs> it's never going to get more relevant than this. This is just Man Encounters Boring World Boringly, the film. Slash reactionary politics. (laughs) So he goes and he talks to a security guard who hollers at a young woman. Yes, that that totally normal thing to see portrayed. A man at work catcalling a lady. The only black person in this entire movie. Is shown catcalling a woman. Now, to be fair, people catcall. Sure, but absolutely. But it's, it's not a great moment. And then he's like, how could you do that? Aren't you married? And he's like, shoot, I ain't married anymore. I'm not trying to do a black voice. That would be racist. The movie is doing a black <laughs> the movie, voice. The movie is doing a racist portrayal. And he's just completely shocked. And then the guy says, hey, man, half people get divorced now. Yep. And uh, he's blown away. Yeah. You, dear listener, might recall uh many minutes ago when we mentioned that the divorce rate in 1890 was five percent mm-hmm. and that shocked him and now it is 50 percent. and this is this his his like literally you see like brain tissue leaking yeah. out of his nose at this point so he's so upset but he needs a bite to eat so he goes to a 1950s diner which i have to admit is the kernel of a clever idea he's going to a diner set in the past that for him would be the future that could have been clever. It oh, was, but dear shit. listener, it was not. <laughs> what happens in our 1950s? I mean, diner, it's Michael? the same thing that's happened the whole time. He hears two girls talking about sneaking out to go to a party and, and drink. Yeah, and that's he it. Is, he is very upset, and then uh, he accosts these women for like, their yeah, full decisions. on yells at them, uh, and they tell him to uh, leave them alone, and as they should. Yeah, tell and the fuck that off. is the entire scene. Let's get to the let's get to the movie night. This is actually where I started to think this movie is like genius and insane. Okay, yes. Because he finally he he's he's so upset, but he decides he is he's going to hang out with his church people. Yeah, he's going to find and some go solace. to one of those moving pictures that mm-hmm, he has heard mm-hmm. so much about. So he goes to a movie. He gets in the church van. This this movie's commitment to showing like every bit of transit is amazing. Gets in the church van, goes to the movie, is sitting there. We see him at the cinema, and then. 
He literally, five minutes later, runs out screaming. Yeah, you never see the movie. Screaming. You never see the movie. Never see the movie. And, well, then, and then what you see is, just just imagine your average anti-masker in a mm-hmm. Target. Just sort of picture that. That's the, that's <laughs> the energy that we're bringing right now. It's just man screaming at service workers who have nothing to do with anything and do not care. And is like, shut it the fuck down. Yeah. What we need is not this. He is deeply upset. That the Lord's name was taken in vain. Blasphemed. Yeah, he blasphemed. he does he does the like like it's it's a slip and slide run. It's just like you know he's scrambling to try to protect these people. That's kind of where I started to realize that this movie was actually extremely avant garde in its politics. <laughs> because then I think it's important to say like I'm going to talk about the next scene to get built to this point. Yeah. He is sitting, I, I will say, this is the best set scene in the entire thing. Yeah. He's sitting what is obviously a small group after the movie yes. filled with Christians. Yes. I was like, I have been I've there. been in this room. I've been in I've this been room, I've been in this though. exact room. So it's like a bunch of couples awkwardly talking, too, too quiet. Everyone is too white. Yeah. And there's like bad decor and everyone's kind of knotted up. And so, and they're like eating uh, like obviously bad finger food. Oh, yeah. Like you can see just, like. Just Tostitos as far as the tostitos, eye can see. Tostitos. Little slivers of bad cheese and mm-hmm. grapes. Mm-hmm. Cheese that was never actually cheese. Like, <laughs> like, cheese that begins life in the lab. Where yeah, all a, cheese a begins. cheese plate of stale craft singles. <laughs> Look, there have been times when I wanted those those stale craft singles. Okay, like, but anyway, so he's doing this. Doesn't and he's like, can you believe that? Yeah, so he is in this community of believers, and he is just so upset that none mm-hmm. of them seem to be upset. Yeah. Uh, I have not been this specific dude in the in in the small group, but I have definitely had this guy attend a small group oh, that yeah. I was in to like freak the fuck out about something. But he is just like talking to a couple of the women there about how terrible this is and how nobody should go to movies at all. That is his solution. Yeah. No, I mean he actually literally comes to and she because the, the, the people he's talking to are basically like this is normal. Yeah, it is what it is. Everyone is like chill out, dog. And he is like, well, I guess movies shouldn't exist. Yeah. And by the way, the movie is basically pulls out and there is a group of people just slow clapping. This brave man (laughs) willing to actually stand up for what he believes in. Yes. Uh, There are a couple Christian cops here. This is so weird. There has been no antagonist and no conflict in the entire film. And there will continue to not be. But this is the attempt that it makes. (laughs) And that is that a couple of the guys in the small group are either one of them is a cop or both of them are cops. It was very vague to me. I think one of them's a cop, and I think one of them is just his boy. Okay. <laughs> like, right. But I don't know for sure. So, two, so we're going to call them the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both act like fucking cops, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, they, they get a little suspicious, and they start doing a little research mm-hmm. about this professor guy. Right. Because they think he's a weirdo, and they're right. This Meanwhile, is the only story of heroic cops. One of their wives is a teacher and invites this Christian professor to speak in her classroom because she thinks that'll be good. <laughs> this weirdo who doesn't literally believe in movies. Yes. She hears a man ranting about a mild profanity in a group setting and thinks, I should introduce this man to more children for him to accost. Why is this man constantly <laughs> being brought around kids? The Christian cops start doing a little research. Mm. Meanwhile, Russell... Shows up to this classroom. Incredible stuff. Tell me a little bit about this classroom. So, he's just in a public school classroom. Mm-hmm. There are various ethnic children and white children in the same classroom. And he is like, this is normal. Yeah, and he is beating them all with switches. <laughs> Even though he's from 1890, he doesn't think integration's weird. He's just, he he is like mainlining all this change. Yeah, that that's all fine. 
It's the lamps that are getting him. Right. Off. But. <laughs> and then on. So. He starts giving so, the exact same science yeah, He basically deal. starts saying that like, yeah, science is in the Bible and all of your science needs to comport with scripture yeah. and Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. The science can only be correct if it agrees with my interpretation of the Bible. At which point. The teacher correctly, horrifiedly, shuttles him out of the class. Yes. And this is yet another moment where he realized just how far we've fallen from yeah. that imagined because, class. Because she explains to him, hey, I could lose my job. We're not allowed to talk about God in uh -huh. class. And, he, and goes, he is just repulsed. So Meanwhile, Christian cops breaking into his apartment. I love it so much. I really? love it. I, lo I love... <laughs> in this movie, they're extrajudicially harassing a man <laughs> for being a weirdo. Like, I love that cops can't be normal ever, even in a movie that definitely thinks cops are good. Yeah, I just didn't realize that Russell was black because that's the only thing that would make this amount of harassment make sense. He is just, like, beside himself. Russell, Carlisle, is freaking the fuck out. So he goes and has his lunch, and then we get a 10-minute speech from the from the lady. Michael, how does this lady bring, it, bring him up to speed? This is like a monologue. This is an important sequence. This is basically her only interaction with the film, right? Yeah, except for when they set up the lunch. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so this is her one scene, and she uses this scene to go on one of the most reactionary diatribes <laughs> that I have ever heard. It actually took me a little while to catch up to how reactionary and terrible <laughs> her words were because the movie is so boring. Yeah, and because she's this, like, just, like, nice 45-year-old white lady just being like, hey, let me get you up to speed. Yeah. Here, let me just let me just hit. They're like things. sitting by a fountain, and she's like, "I know it's hard." Yeah, he's oh, he's terrified of the fountain. Before we get into this, can I just say it's weird because she doesn't know this guy's from the past. Mm -hmm. Why is she explaining to him the entire 20th century history of religion and state in America? I assume that this what is, is just she what thinking? she does everywhere <laughs> she goes. Uh, so she explains that our nation is no longer built on the biblical principles set forth by our forefathers. Those <gasps> totally cool guys. <laughs> <laughs> not, not those biblical principles of she slavery. She says, we lost prayer in schools in 1962. So good. And then she says, people are beginning to rely on their own morals. He, shocked, says, I attended a movie from a, a, uh, from a group at church and a person blasphemed and everyone was chill with it. And then she goes off. On yep. the whole second part of this diatribe. Huge monologue. And says, I used to be in the film industry. I love it so much. And like her face falls. Yeah. No, she she is she is recounting a traumatic experience. She says, I was a booking agent. <laughs> cool. Okay. Good for you, lady. I was making all kinds of money, but I was <laughs> miserable. I also love, listen, booking agents do a lot of great work. Some of them make a lot of money. But there aren't, like, booking agents pulling down millions. Like, that's not a thing, lady. Yeah. Like, not to let's not to fact check your movie here, but, like, what? Well, like, I was one of the powerful, but I was the Steven Spielberg of booking agents. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, you were sending out 24-year-olds with headshots to Kellogg's commercials. And I'm not saying those people aren't actually doing the Lord's work. I believe in their work, but it's not, like... She was, like, fucking on David Geffen's yacht trafficking 12-year-old boys. I don't know. She was a booking agent. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe. Yeah, some of those Kellogg's commercials weren't Kellogg's commercials. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so she talks about her getting saved. Yeah. But then her main point yeah. is that... This is incredible. 
all movies yep. are tools of Satan. And, well, she gives a history of film. In the 1930s, they were making moral movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. She talks code. about the Hays Code as a good thing. As, as the, Hays code, the Hays Code is just like, yeah, that was fucking rad. Yeah. Now, we needed that in this country. Yeah. So, movies used to be good. Yeah. Or better. But now, they are the tools of Satan. Literally. And she was just giving this whole story about how uh you know powerful and dangerous yeah. a tool this is again let's take a step back a movie being made about how <laughs> movies are the tools of satan i also just like again these people can never have a material critique but it's so funny to me be like Hollywood's evil. It's like, yeah, I mean, I think we all agree with that. And then be like, because the movies they make use Jesus's name in vain. And it's like, I feel like we've gone yeah, a different yeah. path here. Uh, are, are movies tools of Satan? I don't know. Marvel movies are funded by the military for recruitment purposes. So maybe, maybe. Kind of, But yeah. probably not for the reasons you think. Oh, I love it so much. It's actually really interesting to have a movie whose point is literally movie. You should not watch movies. They are bad. They are bad and evil. Only watch Christian movies at christianmovies.com made by us two failed screenwriters who never got anything done in actual Hollywood. Oh man. Which is fine. That happens yeah. to a lot of people. I, like, I I don't think I we would know anything about these that. These are ju- these are just the spurned lovers of the film industry and they, and they just wanted to make a hate screed. They definitely went to like one Hollywood party. I think it's mm-hmm. important to say these brothers went to one Hollywood party that they accidentally got an invite in or some assistant was like here whatever dude just stop fucking texting me they went and somebody didn't even do a line mm-hmm. somebody didn't even do any weed someone handed them a shot of water and told them it was tequila and they ran out crying yeah 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 and they and they've never recovered uh she says th- she describes the devil winning his greatest victory mm-hmm. as when they got the name of jesus christ out of the movies so good we all remember Jesus Christ's name being so in the movies. <laughs> yeah, we all remember watching that movie, Superstar. All right, all right. It is just that, to the umpteenth degree, the Christian idea that depiction equates uh, endorsement. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this is if you read the Bible for more than five minutes, shit gets nasty up in there in the Old <laughs> Testament, man. Lots of daughters. There's like all kinds of genocide and violence and war and sex and like yeah. it's just like you better hope that depiction that, yeah that retweets do not equal endorsements, guys. Because <laughs> like, shit gets shit gets crazy up in there. Even in the New Testament, Paul is writing about some dude who's banging his father's wife. Yeah, dear I, penthouse. I never thought this would happen <laughs> to me. Dear penthouse, I once met a mannequin. Dear penthouse, uh, or no, dear Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> though it's so weird it is it really gets to the heart of this like uh you know there's a little bit more plot to get yeah, to. honestly like, not much totally uh, but the point of this movie is that society would be better if we went back to the 1890s oh yeah which is actually something that we really are struggling with now if you sub in the <laughs> 1950s this return to imagine past is, yep. is a very real and present problem and i have seen it portrayed in lots of christian media oh, of and, and even just like you know from christians but i don't know if i've ever seen it portrayed this 
extremely yeah so purely distilled yeah because after this he turns on a tv we don't see what's oh, yeah. on the this tv is, this is actually the other great we shot in this see movie. his face with the reflection of the tv on it as a slow building ring style horror unfolds yes and he's watching like i think hgtv it's panning <laughs> in on him there's blue light flickering on his face <laughs> and he is just horrified and again this movie refuses to it actually is being consistent in this yeah way. it does true. believe that depiction <laughs> equals endorsement it does because it refuses to actually depict anything it leaves it to your imagination you know why he is so racked with horror at i don't know house hunters but you know it might have been house hunters international <laughs> it might have been queer eye goes to japan <laughs> that one was pretty problematic yeah <laughs> not for the reasons he thought though <laughs> so yeah, and I mean we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kind of move move through yeah, the rest a little to. more quickly, but I think it is fascinating to see a movie whose explicit argument is that our culture, every element of our culture, is corrupt and we need to go backwards. Yeah, and the, and the things that are corrupt are the most boring anodyne. Like it doesn't even it doesn't even encounter anything actually approaching sin. It would yeah. never. It would it never. can't. It can't. He drop he he drops to his knees and asks God for forgiveness for turning oh, yeah. on the TV. Yeah, yeah. He's sweating blood at this point. Uh, there's a scene where he goes to the library and tries to look himself up on microfiche, but just makes the moral decision not to, because it's ours not to know what happens to us. Zachary, would, if you could know how you were going to die, would you know? I lean towards no. Okay. I feel like... So that, I shouldn't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a threat or... No. I, I, I do think knowing how one die would like kind of ruin my day. They make it like a thing where it's like he would be doing a sin if he looked it up. Where it's like, I, mean, I don't know if it's immoral. It's just I don't need that information. Yeah, it's very strange. He's also being led through the microfiche by uh, the most 90s gentleman. Okay, this guy is cool. Uh, he has got some very small glasses with very intense red uh, yeah. lenses. No, he is, it's Morpheus. And look. hardcore. Yeah, it is. It is. It is rave Morpheus. It's, it's awesome. Not, it's, there's no black leather. No. It's it's like frosted tips that are then dyed red at the end. Yeah, it's cool. Like. <laughs> this guy looks awesome. There's no other way to put there's it. There's no way to get around it. Yeah, and then he goes and kind of gives a climactic sermon at the church in an evening uh, for an evening service. The church just decides this guy they've known for 72 hours. Yeah, this guy that they've known for at best 72 hours and who has been unendingly weird and aggressive towards members of their church and yep. fucked up one of their like uh congregants classrooms and probably got her in trouble the only thing that this guy has has done has been making people's lives worse but they're just gonna give him the pulpit this is exactly my experience with churches and seminary professors well, okay to up. be fair he <laughs> is an educated white man so yep. what else are they gonna do yep and so then he gets up and gives a speech about Sodom and Gomorrah and how the last days are evil and God has gone from schools and government and attacked in the arts and then gives like a five minute altar call because the, the, the implication is these people in church are not saved and they need to like actually like come to Jesus and give up their sinful TVs. It is. So if we're comparing this to some of the other uh, movies that we've covered, Christian films, so to speak, it is shockingly... Um, explicit you want me to be explicit it's not just like hey you need some jesus no or like grace you know, abounds atheists getting run over by cars yep uh it is literally walking you through like jesus christ without sin to receive him he rose from the dead like it is just it is a litany of like every bad 90s evangelical <laughs> track that you've ever seen uh all wrapped up 
in this like hyper like the culture is evil um yeah package again and and, and i actually think one of the things we haven't hit here is yeah he returns a lot and we'll get to this at the very end the the idea these are the last days oh yeah Oh yeah, no. This Things is... are so bad, Michael. Uh-huh. This can only be the the end times. Jesus must be coming. Yeah, yeah. Because of all that TV. Because because a small child saw a two actors kiss chastely on a television screen. <laughs> Another scene that happened that we don't have time to dive I into. I love that but, scene so much, though. Again, just being horrified by boring things. Uh, it is really gross. It's a, it's actually like it might be the most ideologically uh, disturbing film we've watched. Yeah, because you know if we think about what the 1890s were and what mm-hmm. a return to that would mean. Uh, Good things mostly <laughs> for me. Uh, I'm a little worried about every other per- kind of person. Yeah, I it know. might not be great for every other person on the planet, but Zach, as a overeducated white kid, would probably turn out all right. Yeah, you know, turns out the odds are in my favor. Honestly, Weird. I somehow think it still wouldn't. For I'd you. still fuck it up. <laughs> I would get like jailed for petty foggery or something. Yeah. I don't even know what that is, but you know, it wouldn't be good. The 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 lashes would be real. He checks out of the hotel. Yep. And then he goes. His time and fi- is coming to the he end. He goes and finds yeah. Eddie. Yes. And this is incredible. He gives Eddie the suit, and he's like, "Hey, we're not this. We're not the same size, dude." He's like, oh, "I'll give it to somebody else." And then he gives Eddie a Bible in Spanish. This is actually a little sweet. Like it's it's corny, it's stupid. Sure. But the beginning part of this is is nice. He's like, and he's like, "I'll read it." And he's like, "I want you to read it." And he's like, "Well, Eddie says he's going to do. It, he's going to do it." And it actually would have been totally fine if he just walked away right there. Yep. Because I think giving someone a Bible as a genuine token, whatever. You need to have a relationship with the person, but, like, fine. It's sure. a sweet gift. He, but the movie can't help itself. The movie can't even let this, like, one moment be human. Yeah. He has to turn around and accost Eddie for a second altar call in a row. He does, this explains the gospel twice at great length and detail. You couldn't just let this moment be a nice moment where a man gives another man a Bible. Yeah, I, well, even not even that, but just, like, cared. Cared yeah. enough to, like, try to give this in a, a language that he could, like, read and understand. And, like, instead it's just, like, going in on poor Eddie who is just trying to listen to the game again. And this, not only does this work, but Eddie then confesses that he was lying before. In keeping with this, uh, this movie's Eddie. portrayal of minorities. <laughs> yeah. You know, catcallers and liars. That is, that is what he's got. Awkward. Uh, Eddie's like, you know, earlier when I gave my word that I'd read this book, I was lying. But now that you have spouted a word salad that you learned at seminary... Uh, I'm gonna do it for real, and, and it's amazing. They have two altar calls, back to back just, to yeah, back. yeah. Again, you, we all remember that first rule, the great rule of screenwriting: have two climaxes back to back that are the same. <laughs> we all remember in Die Hard where he shoots Hans and then pulls Hans back, shoots him again in the face. Pretty cool. To be fair, I, I wouldn't hate seeing that in Die Hard. <laughs> So, fine. He is, like, going back to the alley where he was yeah. born. Meanwhile, the cops are stalking him. And the cops... But what I love is, like, they're just kind of walking slowly behind him. Yeah. And he is walking slowly in front of them. And they do this for several minutes. Where he's just, like, kind of walking across what is obviously what appears to be a lot. But I doubt it for knowing them. Just, stroll, little stroll. Just strolling, strolling, strolling. They have no plan. They pose no threat. There is no conflict. Yeah. They the, are just watching. The only him. thing that he has done is just say some shitty things from a pulpit, which, like, let me tell you, if that's the standard, these cops must be very busy gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I would really like some cops to find John MacArthur and 
you know, figure it out from there. APAP. These cops are stalking this man for no real <laughs> for no reason. no reason. But also, they don't have a plan. Like, they broke into his home. They chased him, but they're not even chasing him. All that they found out is that the seminary he claimed to be from is no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they're hunting him down. What I love about this is they then confront him. Yeah. Right as he's about to leave. And Russell's decision is to lie to them. It's so good. As you recall, he was sent by a fellow seminary professor to go learn about the future of the world. Mm -hmm. But what he tells them is that he is a messenger from the Lord. God did not put him in that machine. This is really weird. You could make an argument that he has done nothing immoral for the movie, even though he's a piece of shit. I mean, yeah, you would be wrong, but you could make the argument that he hasn't really done anything. Yeah, and then he ends his time in O2 by lying. Yeah. And then he is whisked away. Oh, there is a moment where the cops threaten to use force against him, which is very good. I love that even in this film, cops got a cop. Cops got to be extrajudicially shitty. Yeah, yeah. Cops got, I mean, they're been given no directive to follow this man. They broke into his place. Yeah, and they're just hunting him. Then he disappears. Mm -hmm. He gets whisked away. There's a cool energy shot. And and by cool, I mean very 1980s. I mean cool. And they're like, oh, I guess that was the rapture. Oh, yeah. This is this is the other major joke in this is like, I think we just missed the rapture. And so now he's back in 1890, his present with the, with his with the man who sent him on a non-consensual journey into the future. Yes. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge coming back from his journey, a changed man. That's right. Only instead of giving away his money and caring for his workers, yep. he has now learned to be even more of an insufferable right. uh you know rule abiding douchebag yeah no he is he he decided that being a scold is actually what jesus wants yeah not only do you now no, need scold. to accost children vis-a-vis their marble acquisition but you need to explain them why you're berating mm-hmm. them this is the whole journey that, that he's been on the yeah. entire thing that he has learned is that he needs to come back and yell louder and more intensely about these problems yeah Duh, Michael. This is this this is this is Alex Jones' origin story. Like this is the story of how a man learns to rant. <laughs> this is this is the story of a poster. This is the story of a poster. It's a shame he wouldn't live to see the day with Twitter. <laughs> yes, yes. This guy definitely would have a Punisher Abbey for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So he decides to go rewrite his book. He explains to the marble stealing child about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says. It is incredible. He's speaking of the future. Norris, the future. It was incredible, but sin abounds. The Lord is not feared. Families are disarray, and the world lives without Jesus. His solution to this is, I will rewrite my book to say morality is dependent on Christ. Yes. To to learn the thing that we were literally told at the beginning of this fucking movie. (laughs) That's it. That's all that happened. A minor edit got made to a book in a seminary that no one will read. The conflating importance or the importance of like a seminary document, delicious. Yes. Oh, As no. if like weirdos and freaks were the I only ones that read them. I don't know if the like thesis of this film is that this will actually save so, the future. I think this is actually where we end it. Yes. I think the thesis of the movie is implied that he has to write this. And maybe if enough men like him, and I say men intentionally, mm-hmm. write their books and stand up for the right things, we will avoid our current catastrophe. However... Given that this movie was released in 02 in the midst of said catastrophe, I don't know how it can be. Because the final shot muddies the waters even further. Yes, this is this is an inch this is the twist. Yeah, it's pretty as cool. You say. 
Uh, this is the I see dead people of this movie. <laughs> so, all right. So Russell is off making edits on his book that's going to save all of humanity. But Russell has a concern. Yes. He says, Norris, mm-hmm. I believe that I was in the last days mm-hmm. of 2002. <laughs> Have you ever seen how far into the future this time machine will go? And Norris gets in his head that the way that he is going to save the future is to put the Bible literally in a time machine. The most printed book of all time. Yep. All the thing the that internet. has been translated into more languages than any other document. Yep. But what we need to do is send one Bible into an alley of Los Angeles in the future. And that is how Norris is going to save the culture from profanity Just and kissing. Choice. And mannequins. Beautiful. Honestly, I'm here for the mannequin revolution. <laughs> Anyways, Norris places the Bible on the time mm-hmm. machine. He goes and he dials it in. 2100. That's right. He pulls that lever, and Zach, what happens? Doesn't work. Oh, shit. There's no time there. I mean, who knows what happens? That's right. He pulls it back to 20, 2090. Mm-hmm. What happens? Nothing. 2080. Mm-mm. 2070? Still no. 60? Sexy. But oh, my God. No, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm telling you. I think you. he ends at 2050. And then there's a look of concern and terror on his face in the movie end. Which I have to say, I like a movie that fucks with like raise like a twist that raises the stakes at the end. If this movie had any care, yeah, for it that would be whatsoever. impossible not to raise the non-existent stakes of this fucking movie. Of course, that implies a much more interesting movie that is then dealing with time travel, the end times, and the world ending somewhere between 2002 and 2050. The point of this movie that again was about yes. an edit to a book <laughs> from a seminary professor that no one cares about or remembers. Uh, is that also, by the way, Apocalypse by 2050, get prepared. We are living in the end time. How is that not the more interesting movie, people? Here's what I'm going to say. This was clearly a prophetic text. (laughs) Look at what we're going through. All right, that's true. I can't breathe. The air is trying to kill me currently. You can all tell how deep my voice is from all the smoke inhalation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very husky. I'm really into it. I promise you this on Twitter. (laughs) I think that's fascinating, first of all. But secondly, the the last question then, which Mm -hmm. we should end on, is it implied that he will be staving off the end times by writing a more Christian book? See, I am curious about this myself. So I don't really understand what he's trying to say. I don't know if the idea is we can stave off yeah. mm-hmm. this, whether that's the end times meaning the rapture or just the straight up apocalypse and end of humanity, mm-hmm. the end of time. <laughs> no more changing right. the time. Yeah. I mean, the name of the movie is Time Changer, which seems to imply that something mm-hmm. he is doing is going to change time. Right. But I don't know. Is that even a thing you would want? I know. You know I, in the I, Bible, it says, come Lord Jesus. You know? like All, like, all Christians are accelerationists. Like that is, that is mandatory theology. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, kind of. Yeah, no, literally, like, that is a huge thing. It's like, we want the return of the Lord. So it's very, yeah, it's, I mean, I think actually what happened here, they don't know. It's a, it just is a kind of a cool way to end it. Yeah, of course. Of course. You, you need, you need that twist. But and like, I think they get away with it because we are in the O2 they prophesied or the bad, the bad O2. Uh-huh. We're in the darkest timeline. So the world is going to end between now and 2050, which again, makes sense looking outside. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say time changers. You called it. Yeah, nailed, nailed it. it. Nailed it, dog. I hope that they walk around being like, see. I hope that these two twin brothers are just walking around. <laughs> I know what they're actually doing. They're walking around being like, vote Donald Trump, master stupid. They're definitely, I, I know they're that, definitely walking around quoting the lyrics of WAP blur, without all the curse words in them. Yeah, they are, they are Ben Shapiroing super hard in this exact moment. <sighs> uh, 
They, this was shot in Visalia. Um, uh, I have been to Visalia. So like, is, I, so that's just, pretty wild. They're just wandering around Visalia, uh, just doing that thing. I guarantee it. But if I made a movie that was like, by the way, the world's going to end, <laughs> and then a global pandemic and climate change happened, like maybe this is just uh, this is just the this is just evangelical Christianity's an inconvenient truth. Everybody gets something, right? Yep. Uh, it's so guys, if we can leave you with anything, it's uh, get rid of all the mannequins. Yeah, just need to get rid of them. Too sexy. Way too sexy. Oh my gosh. Uh, abolish straight kissing, which has been a shitty okay. Christian's platform for that, a while. That has been our platform forever. I this, don't want to see straight kissing anymore. To have nothing to say about any sort of other sexuality. That was so nice. I know it was just because they didn't even think you had to say it, but it's yeah. nice that they didn't. Genuinely, having seen some of the more like Islamophobic, homophobic yep. <laughs> shit that we've seen come out of like later period, a mm-hmm. uh, slightly more politically activated. Like this is a very reactionary film, but it's actually not too drenched in right wing politics. Yeah, it's just drenched in the entire world is evil and immoral. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of nice. It was kind of nice. I didn't have to think about that. Uh, definitely some problematic minority representation. Wow. Well, yeah. So to every movie in 2002. Oh yeah, and and every movie. Zach and I are gonna go try to build a time machine in our barn. That's right. That we can lure you into later. <laughs> and then Thanks send you into the future. Uh, this has been Shitty Christians. My name is M- Michael Taylor. You can find me at Michael Taylor. You can find me at Zachary underscore Allard. And follow our pod at, at Shitty underscore Pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. If I can ask you to do two things. Before next week, it's dismantle capitalism from the ground up and rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks.